the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show at KPXQ, Faith Talk 1360, and faithtalk1360.com. And a wonderful guest I have today uh, that I just met uh, not too far long long ago, but but, I'd like to meet introduce you, our, our worldwide audience, to Josiah Friedman. Josiah, good, to, nice to have you on the show. Art, it's an honor to be here. Thanks. And um, you have a, a nonprofit that you're CEO of called Voices for the Voiceless. And we're going to dive into that. But first, I always like for our audience to know where does the guest come from? Give me a little backstory on Josiah. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm a native Phoenician, so I grew up in, in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm one of the few proud sports fans, long-suffering sports fans. <laughs> yeah. you know, we haven't had teams long. Yeah, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, okay? so <laughs> well, Arda doesn't even compare in that case. Then. Yeah, wow, wow. What a winner I am. No, but so, I, yeah, I, I grew up here, and, uh, and my journey uh, really started here. I got involved uh, in, this, in this movement, the movement to create a world where no one faces unplanned pregnancy alone uh, a while ago, about 11 years ago, uh, living here, went to college here, um, and this is where a nonprofit movement is based. Well, how did you get into this ministry that you have called Voices for the Voiceless? We're going to find out what that means, what it is. We're going to run deep in the program and, um, and let us know. How did this happen? The story of how this happened um, was very unexpected. When I was 16 years old, it was kind of around the time uh, I got saved. I wanted to go and do something outside my comfort zone uh, for justice, something that would help. And this issue, the issue of abortion art, uh, hit my heart powerfully. So as a kid, um, I began uh, getting other people involved and over the course of the next three years. You say a kid. How old? I was 16. So I, I was young. You're a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Started getting a lot of people involved. We led uh, big political rallies for legislation, and we were moving things forward. I spoke on the floor of the Arizona State Legislature, and three years in art, once, it's not like I was well-known, but those who knew of me knew this about me. Um, Something happened that just changed everything. It was completely unanticipated and incredibly courageous. I'll tell you, when I started, and I didn't know this at the time, but right when I started when I was 16, I took some friends of mine on a tour of a nearby uh, pregnancy center, and my mom came with me. Oh, and okay. 
Um, she walked into the center, and when I wasn't looking, she ducked into a nearby room, and she began to cry. She just lost it. And one of the clinic workers walked over to her and asked, uh, asked her what was wrong. And she said, my son doesn't know, and I will never tell him. Three years into this journey, Art, after her son had become this this firebrand political advocate for this cause, she thought somebody had to know. And so she sat me down on a couch, and she told me that story. She told me the story of growing up in a small town, White Bear Lake, Minnesota, where everybody knew everybody else. She had uh, parents who were uh, who were Catholics and had the moral character that had earned a pristine reputation in the community. And she was 19 years old, and she thought she might be in love. She thought this might be the one. Yeah. And in a singer, single doctor's appointment, all of that changed. She, uh-huh. she found out she was pregnant. And I'll tell you, Art, there was only one, one sentence beating through her head when she looked at that test, and it was this. Her father could never find out. And so she went to Planned Parenthood, and they referred her to a clinic where she could get an abortion discreetly, and no one would have to know. And she walked into the clinic, um, into the elevator with her boyfriend to have the procedure done. And while there, she lost her balance in despair. And her boyfriend caught her and said, wait, you don't have to go through with this. I'll get a job. I'll, I'll marry you. Those were huge words, but she really couldn't hear them. You know, a lot of us are commonly in these situations where they're so traumatic. There's so much stress. There's only one thing we can hear, and we got to remain focused on it. And for her, it was that her dad couldn't find out. So she walked through the doors, and she had the procedure. And let me tell you, Art, she hoped that was the end of it, but it wasn't because the next day she began bleeding everywhere, hemorrhaging. she had to be rushed back to the hospital mm. where they addressed the problem, but she had to stay overnight. Yeah. And her worried parents came to the hospital and wanted to see what was wrong. And she oh, managed boy. to disguise the condition. Okay. She gets back from the hospital. Two weeks later, an insurance bill comes in the mail describing her condition that night. And my 19-year-old mother finds this bill in the mail before her dad comes home one day. And she marches back to the hospital by herself and she demands to speak with someone like anyone that could help. Yeah. She goes there and they put her into this meeting with this like medical review board and they change the bill. They send her home with a bill that reads bleeding from an irregular period. They send her home and no one ever finds out. And wow. my mom's relationship with that guy deteriorated very quickly. She began drinking, just kind of dealing with the, the isolation and pain she felt inside. Yeah. And then 30 years later... She's sitting across from her son, who's become this um, vocal advocate for justice, but not a compassionate one, telling him why this work made her feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'll tell you, Art, in that moment, so many things changed for me. This became something that was deeply personal all of a sudden. This became something that was about justice, but not just about justice. This was about a whole group of people across our country whose opinions and were dominated not by what they thought about this issue intellectually, but what they'd experienced about this issue personally. Yeah. And that if we were going to go on and we were going to send this message, leaving them out of it without sitting down and hearing their experiences, um, we were going to be missing the point. Yeah. And that's really how Voices for the Voiceless started all for me. 
My goodness. So, um, so throwing all of the all of the politics out and and all of all of that uh, down to just the issue is where you went, right? Right. And and and, and that's that's where uh, where the decision making is. That's where the 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 people can play whatever games they want to play. But but you were after saving saving lives. Absolutely. Art, we began to look at our country and we actually sat down with a lot of people, just sat across from them. Uh, I probably have talked to a thousand people about their personal experiences with this and just sat and listened. And, yeah. and as we did that and we did some research, what we realized is that the true story of unplanned pregnancy in America is really a story about love and fear. Most people don't know this, but there, there are you know near to a million abortions that happen in the United States every year, but at least... 400,000 of those don't happen because women want to choose that. They happen because of relationship problems, where there's a breakdown in community with parents and friends and medical professionals and employers and even academic institutions. And we began to see this isolation created, and it created a lot of trauma. You know, most people think of trauma as like when you're in a car accident or something like that and it affects you forever. Well, uh, trauma, as described by uh, other thought leaders like Bessel van der Kolk, will tell you trauma is not just that. Trauma is a point of high stress met with extreme disconnection or isolation. When you have those two conditions at the same time, it sends a lot of people into uh, fight, flight, or freeze mode, right, where they're making a decision completely out of survival. And for all of the listeners, and there are many of them who've been parents, I will tell you, you know, parenthood is like, it's not a decision you're making out of survival. It's a decision you're making out of love, and one you're going to have to make out of love more than maybe any other decision you make in your life. And one thing we know about humans, and, and we know this, and uh, we know this from the gospel, but not just this. This is the way God made us, Art. We, as human beings, cannot make decisions out of love unless someone has shown love to us. Mm -hmm. If we've never seen it, if we're making this decision out of complete isolation in a world that tells us our dreams are over, this is our new identity now, we can never be the person we wanted to be when we stepped out into the world. Um, and they're, they're telling us, look, this future is bleak. It's your life or your child's. In a world where that's the case, if you don't have community, it's hard to choose life. Yeah. And as an organization, we've begun looking at that 400,000. What can we do for them to build a world where no one has to face unplanned pregnancy alone, where they have all the information that they need, where they have the community that believes in them, and that where these lies in the culture, that it's their life or their child's, are not a reality, but just a figment. Hmm. So like your mom, the fear of her of her dad right yeah and um outer forces can control those situations and sometimes end up with a very bad decision uh, a life giving a life uh threatening and losing a life situation right absolutely so yeah. uh what were your next steps what, what what where did you go from there we went all kinds of places from there. So we, we made a documentary series where we just... I've seen your uh, your TED... Yeah. 
uh, at GCU. Right. And that was very interesting, by the way. We were invited to give the first ever TED Talk from the pro-life perspective. And we've been able to get this message into a lot of new places that previously, because of ideological and sometimes political barriers, wouldn't be open to hearing it. But um, let me tell you, we sat down. One of the things we did after I, I heard that story is we traveled across the West Coast. We interviewed 130 strangers about their experiences with unplanned pregnancy and abortion. And we learned a lot about this breakdown in community. And we began to ask, where is it really happening and what can we do about it? And there are a couple things that, that really became clear uh, art to us uh, as we began to do it. One, um, this isolation was happening in places where we really didn't it really doesn't need to. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, one of those uh, is in doctor's offices. So this is something that, that has become a, a deep passion of ours and that we're trying to change in the United States. Um, in the United States, 67% of pregnancies that are prenatally diagnosed with Down syndrome end in abortion. And oh, my gosh. The rate is extraordinarily high. And let me tell you, it's not high because parents are working with all the information and know all the supportive communities that are out there for them if they move forward with this. Yes. It's so high because medical professionals are trained by uh, ACOG and other groups to present this diagnosis in the following way. They say, um, your child, it looks like your child's going to have Down syndrome, for example. And they'll say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, they'll often follow that with, with a list of complications and things their child might not be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then they'll tell them how many weeks they have remaining to get an abortion in their state and the, how long they have left to make the quote-unquote decision. So the doctors open that door. They do. They wow. do. And it's just, it, to, to be fair to them, yeah. the reason that they're doing that is they want to manage expectations, right? There's a lot of pressures on them in, in, in those positions. Yeah. They want to be compassionate and kind, and they feel for these parents. But it's not putting them in a place where they're anywhere empowered to actually make a decision out of love or move forward hopeful about the future. And as hopeful as they should be, not just wishing upon a star, right? But as hopeful as they should be that their child can have a good life, that they could really make this work and make this happen, and that their child has some dignity of life, whether they can see them or not in that moment. Yeah. And a lot of that has to be with technology because technology now is so clear on an ultrasound, right? That there's not much they can't see. Isn't that true? Yeah. From, I mean, these are, this is, these conditions are detected from very, very early, early on in pregnancies and, and this can happen. And it's, you know, medical professionals are supposed to say, Hey, let's get this testing done as early as possible. Right. This has become with medical technology. um, It's become, easier and easier uh, to reject someone for a genetic condition like this. And so as an organization, um, one of the things we did to be to create more community and to help the next generation of medical professionals actually present this diagnosis with accuracy and hope is we began telling the story. We sat down with a number of parents who had been in those doctor's offices and just asked them, how that diagnosis was presented. Yes. And it shocked us. And in many ways, it shocked millions of people around the country who learned about this for the first time. And 
began wanting to make some kind of a difference and begin sharing their story. I'll tell you, for a lot of this breakdown in community, the most important thing we need to do um, is not just in our own lives. Sometimes the most important thing we need to do is create awareness in our country that this is going on. Without that fundamental awareness, it's very hard to make change. And that's why at Voices for the Voiceless, we are really a social advocacy organization building community for women facing unplanned pregnancy um, and helping us create a culture that respects the dignity of every human life. Um, This for us is a cultural battle that happens in our communities and institutions. And so we're using stories to really change how this is looked at all across the country. My goodness. You know, it makes me think, though, about if the percentage of abortion is so high for Down syndrome, what about other disabilities? I mean, there has to be a list, a long list of disabilities that they're recognizing before birth. How's that working out? There are a number of them um, that, where, that have similar uh, abortion rates or higher. Uh, spina bifida is one that comes to mind. Um, we're, we're also looking for how we can get involved in that. Cystic fibrosis is another one. Even something as simple as cleft palate, right, oh is, is there too. Um, there's so, it's with medical technology, look, the great gift of this, and, and this is not to say, oh, we should stop prenatal testing. I really don't believe that. I think it helps a lot of parents prepare for a future um, with their child and really get used to the idea, find the resources they need, and move forward. I think it could be a really empowering thing, um, but it's got to be presented with hope yeah, or it doesn't then, work. And then also have the, uh, the organization, the, the large national or international associations that deal with those things, have them in place, right, and kind of help you be even before birth, right? Absolutely. The earlier you can really get prepared for this, right, the better. And so this is just one way where we've seen a breakdown in community of many ways. And there are breakdowns in community that happen all the time in our workplaces. That's another place that we're especially focused on. I'll tell you, during COVID, we had a nurse reach out to us. She was working uh, at MedStar Southern Maryland. and, uh, you know, right on the front lines. And she was a contracted worker, so she wasn't an employee of the hospital. And what happened was she got pregnant. It was, it was unplanned. She got hired by this hospital. Um, and she was put into a bunch of situations in which their pregnant employees didn't have to be put into. And she was told, look, you can't. She, she, was really, she really tried to work with this institution, but they just wouldn't work with her. And they ended up letting her go because of this pregnancy. We live in a world where, look, it's hard for employers. I'm one, right? I employ a lot of people who work for me. (laughs) It's hard for employers uh, to make it a lot of the time. But right now we live in a world where there's a lot of pregnancy discrimination that goes on every day uh, in our country that tells women that they have to choose between their livelihood or their child. They get a choice. And that's not a choice that's fair for anybody to have to make. We shouldn't live in a culture where that's the case. We also live in a culture where only 17% of our working women in the United States have access to paid maternity leave, right? So they're viewing pregnancy as, well, this might be the end for me. And for so many women who go into the, into these you know, fields with big dreams and aspirations about the things they can become. What message does that send? You know, <laughs> what message does that send about what we think about motherhood uh, in our world that we'd be, you know, we wouldn't make a way for it? That's a black eye on corporate America, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, wow. Um, are there other nonprofits like you? Are you it? 
in the country? Are you, how, do you uh, work with others? How does this work out? We collaborate with a lot of organizations all around the country. So organizations that are trying to provide support and do really effectively. Like there's a network of about 1,700 pregnancy resource centers around the country. We're connected with, uh, with a number of them to try to help build support and, and bring support and funnel people um, into places that can really care about them and aren't in it for the money. Right? Yeah. They're just trying to serve them in those ways. Um, but I'll tell you. The partnerships we're trying to build are are the partnerships that I think really need to get really need to happen in order to change this. We're trying to build partnerships in uh, in the medical community where we can help the next generation of medical professionals be prepared to deal with the situation of unplanned pregnancy, especially unplanned pregnancy involving genetic testing and and a disability. Um, We're trying to build relationships with employers who realize that for too long their work environment really hasn't been empowering to the women who work for them. And we want to help them create a space where they can do that. (laughs) We're partnering also with faith communities. I will tell you, Most people just assume that our churches are kind of off the hook on this. And let me tell you, we have a representative in Jesus who walked with people going through every type of thing. But when it comes to unplanned pregnancy, for a lot of women in our churches who either go to our church or come to church occasionally or know someone who's part of our church, there isn't a a true know-how of what you would need to do when someone faces an unplanned pregnancy. A lot of people fall through the cracks and experience the same degree of isolation in our church communities they would experience if they never walked through those doors ever. Wow. And that's really unacceptable. So, so we're building those So they're abandoning two. their their belief in Christ or in God and still making that decision. Right. We need more what would Jesus do bracelets, don't we? <laughs> I mean, that's very simplified, but uh, I just had to throw that in there. But um, you guys are doing a great job, and and the message that you continue to build on with those statistics that you have um, are are really over the top. I I never would know had I not met you and heard about these things. So um, where do you go from here? You just keep on with the education. You just keep on in the process you're working on, right? Absolutely. I mean, we are just kind of doubling down on the efforts we're taking. Look, there's 400,000 pregnancies, right, that are at stake in this every year. We've got our work cut out for us, Art. Like, there's a lot to get to. But I will tell you, we are... Um, we are excited by the ways we are seeing people uh, people step up, and oftentimes when uh, you know when I'm asked what people can can do, how they can be a part of this in their own lives, one of the the first things I say is, hey, if you're connected to an institution, faith community, school, workplace, etc., make sure that is optimized for someone facing an unplanned pregnancy, that there's going to be real support for them, that they know where to go. Make sure that that's a real community that can be there for them. But I also tell them this. Look, if you're standing and you're walking with someone facing an unplanned pregnancy, it's a really hard thing to do. Mm. And you got to be willing to walk alongside them and listen first. Then you got to be willing to tell them what you think. And then no matter what they decide, you got to be willing to walk alongside them in their life. That's what real community is. And I tell people this too, Art. One of the most important things to do is to remind the people in your life that you'll be there for them when it matters, when it counts, when they face an unplanned pregnancy. And here's the reason why. 
about a year after my mom had that abortion, she watched her older brother, um, whose girlfriend was pregnant, go to her father and say, hey, here's what happened. And she watched her father, to her surprise, respond graciously. He was kind. And never did my mom feel more regret or more alone when she realized that maybe she wasn't alone the whole time. time. Maybe she just felt that way. The people in our lives do not assume that when this happens, this is a very political, divisive issue, and they do not assume that when this happens, we will walk with them unless we tell them before it does. So uh, your message is more effective, I think, though. Than the, than the shouting upper upper level. We have two minutes left in the show. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, time flies and we're having a ball here. But this is so educative. Um, in this era of COVID, uh, I don't know how it's affected your association. It has had to. And nobody's been not not been affected in, through this. But there's a lot of stories being written right now. What do you think your story will be after COVID? That's a great, great question. It's still in formulation, I think. But I think the story we're trying to write after COVID, Art, is that in our communities, because of the work we are doing and the work of so many people around the country um, and the partners like your listeners who want to get involved, my hope is that there would be people who would have walked through this completely alone never knowing the love of a friend to walk alongside them, who instead get a different message, that when they walk into this, instead the message communicated to them is that you are the same powerful human woman you were before. You can continue to be that person. And the people around you are going to be the village you need to make it happen. We're going to come around and do that. I hope that's the story we're writing, Art. What's your website? Our website is voicesforthevoiceless.org. Okay. So everybody heard that. And uh, Josiah Friedman, just thank you so much for being here today. You are a rescuer, changing and saving lives. And the Rescuer Show uh, can be heard in our uh, podcast. It airs every Thursday live on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And then it goes into a podcast at uh, Instagram, podcast, uh, iPodcast, Spotify, wherever you can find uh, uh, the Rescuer of Radio Show is where it is. Thank you very much. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.